Excellent. Well, this morning we are looking at Luke 24. Luke 24. So you'll find find this on page 1047 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. 1047. This is always one of my favorite parts of the Easter narrative, the road to Emmaus. Oh, I love it. I love it. So we're going to see how Jesus reveals himself here. Okay, Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13. Verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, But him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, And began to give it to them. 
Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We are so grateful that you would send your son. That your son would take our sin. That we could have life. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment through the power of your Holy Spirit. That you'd guide us into the truth. For if we know your truth, we are set free. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. As I said, this is one of my favorite moments. We have the two heading to Emmaus. And they are deeply grieved. They are sad. They are destroyed. Everything that they had hoped in, in Jesus Christ, in their understanding to that point, had been a disappointment and a failure. The one who they thought would finally bring about the great promised victory was crucified. And as far as they could understand, Jesus was defeated. He was defeated by the chief priest and the scribes and those who carried out this terrible act of injustice because of their own pride, because of their own hunger for power. They thought he was defeated by Rome, the corrupt workings of Pilate and others. And ultimately, as you see here in the text, their face are downcast. They are sad. They are grieved because hope for them had died with the death of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing when Jesus dies on the cross and you have the the disciples, they they are scattered. You have John there at the cross with, with Mary and some of the others, but The other disciples are scattered. And the last moment you see Peter, because of his own betrayals of Jesus, he's weeping bitterly. He's torn apart emotionally and spiritually in deep anguish. He goes off. And now you have this other scene here where these two, they're going along to Emmaus and they also are overwhelmed with grief. Overwhelmed with grief. There's no deeper grief 
than the grief of loss of hope. The grief of where you've placed all your hope, all your security, all your peace, all your joy in something or someone, and it has failed you. And that's where they are at. So it's an amazing scene. We find Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus, and he comes to them, but he keeps them from seeing him. We're going to see a process here that he's going to go through. And we'll see this process with the resurrected Jesus through all the different disciples and followers and people. But in particular for these two, this is a powerful moment of of him revealing himself, of, of Jesus drawing out of their hearts, drawing out of their minds all the weakness, all the doubt, all the struggle, all the suffering, and Jesus Christ speaking his truth right into it, shining his light into the deepest recesses of their pain and grief and brokenness. So we first see this. Jesus draws near to them, and he asks them a question. This is in verse 17. Jesus said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with with each other? As you walk, what are you talking about? What, what is this that has so consumed you and so filled you? And in doing that, it's as if Jesus struck the rock and out comes pouring all the grief and all the difficulty and all the struggles that these two were facing. It comes pouring out. And that's why at the end of 17, it says, And they stood still looking sad. But Cleopas was able to speak. He was able to speak. And he couldn't understand how this... He had to be a visitor. He had to be a foreigner. He had to be someone who wasn't present in Jerusalem during all that took place. He couldn't have been there and asked that question. And that's why he says... He says, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And then verse 19, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, here it is, verse 19, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Here's the first point. A man who was a prophet. Mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. Verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. There it was. We had hope. And that's over. Jesus is dead. The hope is lost. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. That should take you back to Lazarus. The reason why Jesus delayed for those 
four days of Lazarus, the reason he delayed was to show that the body truly of Lazarus had been dead. And by that point, the body would have stinketh, as it says in the King James, because the body at that point would have bloated and torn open and the awful smell of death would have filled the tomb. And that here they're saying Jesus had been dead these three days, meaning it's over. At this point, his body was about to burst open and decay and rot and the stench of his death to fill the tomb and to fill the air. It's over. Then Jesus says something, verse 25. Verse 25, he says, and he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Again and again, Jesus Christ said to the apostles and disciples, I am going up to Jerusalem. I will be tried in injustice. I will be crucified. I will die and I will be raised again from the dead. And whenever he would say these things, either he would get blank stares or confusion, or even at one moment, the boldness of Peter saying, not so, Lord. That will never happen. But Jesus has kept speaking his truth, speaking his truth, because it's the truth of all the scriptures, the truth of all the scriptures. And here we have the greatest moment of Bible study one could ever experience. Verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures. Can you imagine this? Having Jesus himself walking beside you, going from Genesis all the way, all the Old Testament, and taking every section of scripture that pointed to him and explaining. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Isn't that amazing? We see this also in Mark 16. In Mark 16, another gospel account. Mark 16, if you start at verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And you see her grief at the loss and the death of Jesus Christ. The one who had cast out these seven demons, the one who had rescued her from darkness to life, and now she on Easter morn is grieving his loss. But he revealed to himself to her in verse 10. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. Here's more mourning and weeping. Verse 11. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. They wouldn't believe it. It's, it's too much. That would be t- too much to hope for. That would be too much to expect. That, that's just a joy beyond what they can understand at the time. It's, it's beyond what they can 
they could handle. Verse 12, after these things, he appeared in another form to two of them. This is the ones on the road to Emmaus, what we just read in Luke. As they are walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Are you seeing the theme here? They just couldn't believe it. Verse 14, afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. So we have the same statement here. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So Christ comes and there's continual unbelief, unbelief, unbelief. Then Jesus comes, stands in his resurrected flesh before them and rebukes them. Why? Because the scriptures have foretold and pointed to this from the beginning of creation. And this is the message that we have to proclaim to everyone else. This is captured because we understand here that what the apostles need, what they are going to need is the Holy Spirit. This is what every person is going to need to truly believe and know and trust a resurrected Jesus Christ and to know that he truly is alive. And no matter what grief or pain or suffering or temptation we face, that we can find our hope, our victorious hope, not a defeated hope, not something that will fail us, but a victorious hope in Jesus Christ. What we need is the Holy Spirit. So you find this in John 14. In John 14, starting at verse 25, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So you see here, salvation is always the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. It's always the work of the Trinity. God the Father elects from before creation. God the Son, Jesus Christ, goes to the cross to take the sins of the elect so that they may have life and forgiveness and peace. And God the Holy Spirit comes to make us alive so that we can believe and trust and hope and know. And that's why in John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then Jesus speaks about him leaving them, which sends them into terror at his departure. 
So Jesus speaks to them. He teaches them. He takes them through all the scriptures. They still, he's, he keeps them from seeing them. And then they come into where they're going to spend the night. And Jesus takes the bread and blesses it, recalling to them that last supper, that ultimate Passover, where he, the lamb who is going to be slain, is going to offer his body. And in the act of blessing and breaking and giving of the bread, they see him and he vanishes. He vanishes. But they know he's alive. And they go rushing back to their friends. And one of the key verses in all this section of Luke 24 is this. If you go down the last two verses, 31 and then 32 is the key one. 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures. Talk about this. Didn't our hearts burn within us? When Jesus is walking on the road and he says, remember when God cursed Eve? And he said her child labor will be painful and there'll be turmoil and struggle between her and her husband. Yet through her offspring will come one though his heel will be struck. You can imagine Jesus saying, that is me being crucified. Though the offspring's heel would be struck, he will smash the head of the serpent. And I had to go to the cross to defeat the devil in sin. You see their hearts burning. And he says, don't you see where Moses leads his people, Israel, out of its slavery to Egypt? Pharaoh is the representation of the devil oppressing and enslaving and Jesus frees them through miraculous signs and Moses is leading through them and when Moses strikes the rock remember that speaks of of the coming Messiah pouring forth life for them to drink and take in and the manna how they, they're nourished because ultimately the Messiah is the manna from heaven. And that's what ultimately the Lord's Supper is going to play. You could see Jesus just going through every story, every section of the Old Testament. And then Jesus gets to Isaiah 53. Oh, and he talks about the suffering servant, that it pleased God to crush because he would take the sins of his people. His blood would be poured out. You can go through the rest of Isaiah and Ezekiel and go through Zechariah, which we've been looking at. Zechariah, which speaks about the shepherd who will be struck because God himself will say, O sword, strike my shepherd. And here you have God sacrificing the shepherd so that the sheep can be saved. And this shepherd is equal with God. Oh, you can imagine it. You can imagine as Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, walks these two from Genesis all the way through every book of the Old Testament and points to how he has fulfilled these things. And they say, did our hearts not burn within us? 
Because that's what God's truth does. That's what the truth of a resurrected Jesus Christ does. It gives us new hearts. Hearts that for the first time can feel. Our hearts of stone are removed and we have hearts that can feel, can burn with hope and passion and desire for God and not the things of this world. You see this in Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, starting at verse 12, it speaks about God's Word burning, bringing alive in our hearts. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's Word is the sharpest surgeon scalpel that can just cut and remove all that is sinful and dark and wrong and remove it and place in His holiness and truth. God is a light that can shine and penetrate every darkness. Verse 13, And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed from the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So that's just my hope and prayer for each and every one of us here this Easter Sunday. No matter how hopeless some situation you are in seems, I'm encouraging you to go to Jesus and place all your hope in Him. No matter how, how overwhelming the pain or the suffering or the difficulty you may face, my encouragement to you is to go to Jesus Christ for all the healing. His power is sufficient. His love is sure. He's victorious. No matter what sin we are struggling in and continue to stumble and fall in, I encourage you to go to Jesus Christ and know that in Him, that sin is forgiven. And it's been removed from you. And the Holy Spirit is active and working in your life to free you from it. God is alive. God is alive and that's our hope. It isn't just that Jesus rose from the dead so many thousand years ago, it's that if you are in Jesus Christ and believe and trust in Him, 
God is alive in you. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. He died on the cross for you. He rose from the tomb for you. He intercedes for you. And someday, if you are in Jesus Christ, He's coming back for you. Why would He do all that? For you? Because if you are in Him, you are the most beautiful, cherished, loved child of God. That's the promise of the Scripture, is that if you're in Jesus Christ, God sees you, and He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, and He sees His beloved child. And that's why we long to see Jesus Christ with our own eyes. Don't you long for that? The disciples got to see him. All these people we read about. Who here has seen the resurrected Jesus Christ? Well, I won't ask for hands. But I never have. I've never seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. But you know what's so wonderful? Jesus prayed for people like me. Remember that? He prayed for those who would believe the message of the apostles. And he tells doubting Thomas... God bless Downing Thomas, who still wouldn't believe, even though everyone else had seen him. Thomas says, I won't believe until I've put my fingers in the holes. Only then will I believe. And Jesus comes into the room, and he comes to Thomas. He says, Thomas, here's my hands, here's my side. As far as we know in the text, did Thomas even get one step toward even attempting what he had said before? No, what happens to Thomas? Falls on his face. He falls down before Jesus, and what does he cry out? My Lord and my God. So that's my hope and prayer for each and every one of us here. No matter what you face, no matter what's going on in your life, that you will realize hope is not dead. Because God is not dead. There is a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And there is a hope that is victorious that nothing can defeat. And that is if your hope is found in Jesus Christ and nothing else. Because of that hope fixed on Jesus Christ, no matter what, the Holy Spirit enables you to, to look at Jesus Christ and say, my Lord and my God. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you we thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, revealed himself to Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus. Father, we thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, revealed himself to Mary Magdalene and the others.
And oh Lord, are we grateful that your Holy Spirit has made us alive to believe that your Son, Jesus Christ, is alive. We are so grateful. Father, we pray that you'll just draw us ever closer to you. And Father, I pray if there there is anyone here who doesn't know and believe and trust the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, if there's anyone here that doesn't know and believe in the forgiveness of the good news, And Father, I pray that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be revealed to them. That they may cry out to you, my Lord and my God. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.